Turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to continue in 1 Timothy chapter 4, right where we left off last week. We'll be uh, looking at verse 6 through the end of the chapter, verse 16, this morning. I know that uh, we have the kiddos in here, and um, I'm going to be mindful of that in time and speech, I hope. And so, uh, if you are a parent, don't be unnerved. If uh, it becomes too much, too distracting, do not be afraid to slip out. Uh, but don't, don't worry. We're, we're well accustomed to having the kids in here early and often. In fact, it's one of the reasons that uh, we do that. We're going we're gonna to unpack that today and see that here in this scripture. So we're, we're, we're used to a few noises and moving around and uh, restless kids. It's, it's not uh, an end of the earth, okay? So rest well this morning and listen and, um, and don't be un, too unnerved by it, parents. Let's pray together and then we'll jump in here. Father, we want to pray for our time together this morning that you would use me to speak truth and uncover lies and half-truths and that I would not speak things that are confusing but clear and that I would point to truths that are explicit and that I would uncover implications that are not true that we walk in and conclusions that we've drawn, that we would be ready to set down the, the baggage and the personal opinions and conclusions that we've drawn about your word, about Jesus, about your church, and about each other. And listen to the truth and hear it from your word and from each other. And we know that your spirit promises to do that, and we are asking that your spirit would do that in us in the next few minutes. Uh, I want to pray for a Family Bible Church in Union Valley. Uh, I'm praying for their plural leadership this morning as they unpack the scriptures together, that you would bless that uh, group of a few families, that they would be true, that they would walk in truth. And that you would bless them with healthy growth and you would sustain them and keep them from leaving the faith via preached word and truths and uncovering lies weekly as they meet together. I pray that they're enjoying the supper together consistently in sweet communion that is salty and bright there in their community. I pray the same for us. I also want to pray for a local judge, Andy Bench. Father, I pray that you would use him in his job and use him in his decisions and in his movement to create uh, peace and to create an atmosphere that is uh, clear of confusion and that you'd give him discernment and wisdom and moving so that the gospel will continue to move, move out into our county, and move out into this area. We pray that you would use Andy to accomplish that and that you would keep his heart in the truth and in the faith. God, we we pray that you would give our children this morning a special attentiveness for the next few minutes 
and that this time would be fruitful because your spirit speaks. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, we're in 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to look at verse 6 through 16. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to take a sweeping look at this passage. Uh, We're not going to spend a whole lot of time just dissecting every word, but we're going to take a sweeping look at 6 through 16 because as I read this and as Paul is writing to this pastor, Timothy, it just looks like if Paul were saying this and not writing it, he probably wouldn't even stop to take a breath. The, the thought here is that this all fits together in 6 through 16. And I imagine if he were speaking this to Timothy, he would say it all and wouldn't even take a breath because it just fits together so well. Last week we talked about how the Spirit says in verse 1 of this chapter that people will leave. The Spirit expressly says that. How does, it, how does the Spirit say that? Did he reveal that to Paul? Uh, he may have. I don't think that's what happened. I think what Paul is saying is, remember Jesus said this. Jesus said people will leave. And then we looked at Matthew 24. And in Matthew 24, Jesus is talking about the signs of this age. And he's telling the disciples that he's going to go away and that it's going to be troublous times. It's going to be filled with tribulation. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. And one of the difficult tribulations that you'll face is that some people will leave. And he warns them, you do not go astray The one who endures to the end will be saved. Stay. Don't leave. And even their questions to Jesus about him leaving indicate that they need to know that it's going to be okay. Can you help us here? You're coming right back, right? Like, you're going to leave, but then you'll be back in a couple months, right? And they're unnerved, and they want to know that it's going to be okay. And Jesus says, no, you're going to die, (laughs) and it's not going to get much better for a while, and one of the signs of this age is that people will leave. And then we see in 1 Timothy chapter 4 that Paul says the same thing. People are going to bail out on the faith. They're not going to endure to the end. Some will leave. And everyone that leaves, every departure from the faith is because of a lie. It's because someone is believing either a lie or a half-truth, and it starts some, for some, subtly, And for others, it's an abrupt lie and an abrupt departure. For some, they slip away because they begin to believe things that aren't true or aren't completely true. And then they draw conclusions about things that aren't true. And then they draw their own conclusions. And then the next thing you know, they're making the decisions and they're saying, you know what, I'm out. And so we can't be sitting here today and saying, well, that's not me. I'm not leaving. In fact, I think a lot of times we don't like talking. And even as, as I think back about the last three months, it, it's unnerving all this talk about the warnings in Hebrews to stay and endure to the end. Because we'd like to think, no, I'm, I'm in and I'm not going anywhere and I'm not going to be the one to leave. I mean, I, I'd like to not think about that. I'd like to just think about the fact that I'm in. And I don't want to think about the possibility of me leaving. And that's arrogant. It's arrogant like Peter. When Peter said, Jesus, all these other guys, they may bail, but I won't. I think we have that same mentality, that same feeling. And I think it's our arrogance that says, look, I just don't want to talk about leaving. I'm not going anywhere. I'm in. I know that I know that I know that I'm in, and I am not going to leave. And that is dangerous, and it's arrogant to say that and to feel that way. 
It is healthy and it is good to consider, I need the warning to stay. It could be me because Jesus turns to Peter and he says, Peter, you're gonna leave me, you're gonna leave me three times before the rooster crows. So don't say that you're not gonna be leaving. Deacons are moving. (laughs) I don't know what that is, but we're working on it. (laughs) Are we safe? Okay, good. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Jeff. (laughs) All right, we're safe for now. Let's look at this passage, verse 6. We're going to look at 6 through 9, and then we're going to look at 11 through 14, and then we're going to look at this last phrase that he uses here. Verse 6. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of faith, of the faith, and of good doctrine that you have followed, having nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself in godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and we strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially to those who believe. Okay, what is he talking about? Put these things before the brothers. He's just talked about the fact that some people are going to leave because they're going to believe a lie. They're going to add to the gospel and they're going to say you need to trust Jesus and you need to not eat these vegetables. Or you need to not get married. That's, that's how you need to walk this faith out. You, you will be more righteous if you trust Jesus. Yes, we'll aspire to that. But you also need to do some other things. You need to deny yourself some things. And he says, no, that's a lie. Everything God created is good and to be enjoyed with gratitude and thankfulness. And so he's just come off saying some people will believe a lie. What are we putting before the people? And it's good Doctrine, being trained in the words of good doctrine. Here is what a good servant of Jesus, he's talking to the pastor. Now, these pastoral epistles are written to the preacher, the pastor, but they're intended for the whole church to read them. So this is good for all of us to hear what God is saying to the preacher and the pastor, the elder. It's good for all of us to see what he's saying. And this is what he's saying. This is what a good faithful preacher does. A good, faithful elder, a good, faithful servant of Jesus does this. He works very hard to make sure that what he is saying and proclaiming and what you are believing and hearing is true and that you are not hearing lies, that you are not believing half-truths. Because here's the thing. He, he is encouraging Timothy to let the people know explicit truths and make sure that they're not drawing conclusions from Scripture or from the history 
or from what somebody else is saying. They're not drawing conclusions that bump up against something that's explicitly true. Here's what I mean. We, we can do this very easily. We do it all the time. Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We can draw conclusions based on that phrase. And I can draw the conclusion that anything I put my hand to, anything I put my hand to, it will succeed. Why? Because Jesus is with me. So, let's do this. Let's get the football team to put it on their t-shirt so that we'll all believe that we will what? Win. Why? Jesus. That's a wrong conclusion to draw from that verse. However, how many of us have seen that on the t-shirt? It, it, it can be so subtle. And so the job of a good servant of Jesus, the job of the preacher, the job of the pastor and the elder is to say, whoa, there's some explicit truths that make the conclusion that you've drawn wrong, unhealthy, a lie. Because that bumps up against God's sovereignty. That bumps up. Drawing that conclusion about I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, that bump up, bumps up against the Psalms that say whatever God pleases, he does it. In fact, the context of that passage is this. He can take away everything that I have and it can get really bad for me. And I can go through that and endure that because of Jesus. Not, I'll win all my ball games because of Jesus. Or, my business will succeed because of Jesus. And so, you see how we can draw conclusions that are half true or maybe blatant lies? We can draw conclusions based on experience or somebody's opinion or a system that we've built. And the good pastor, the good servant of Jesus... It's our job to make sure you're understanding and believing explicit truths, clear truths, and that you're not drawing conclusions. And yet we swim in these conclusions with people we work with, with the TV, with our own thoughts, with our own heart. You think about how many ways a, a lie can creep in. A lie can creep in from the enemy. A lie can creep in from an unbeliever. A, a lie can creep in from an opinion article. A lie can creep in from your own heart. Lies, lies, lies. And our job, the good servant is, you do the work, a good pastor will do the work of studying the, both the story of the gospel, studying the announcement of Jesus, and studying the community of the gospel. And they will study to make sure, are we believing truth? And are we searching the scriptures to make sure that what we're saying and believing and proclaiming, is it true? And are the conclusions that we and our people drawing, are they half-truths? Are they weak? Are they lies? And it is a difficult work. It's hard work. And then he says, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. That's the conclusions I'm talking about. Drawing conclusions that are really just myths. They, they don't hold up when you unpack the whole of Scripture. They're not completely true. They're half-truths and silly myths. And so the good pastor, the good servant is always listening to his people. He's listening to his own study. Is there anything irreverent here? Is there anything silly about this? Is this true? 
and they're working hard. And then he goes on to say, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. It holds the promise for this present life and also for the life to come. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God. The good servant of Jesus also does this. He sets his personal hope on Jesus. Here's what happens when you get a guy who works very hard at connecting truths and scriptures. And he may know a lot of theology and a lot of doctrine. Yet he doesn't really trust Jesus in the way he moves, in the way he speaks, in the way he leads his family. And that guy is very academic, but he's not a good servant of Jesus. And so you see a pastor and an elder and a preacher who does the hard work of making sure we're getting the gospel right, making sure we're unpacking truths and that people aren't believing lies and that we're shooting down conclusions that we've drawn that don't line up with truth. And yet at the same time, We also have to trust Jesus in it. It's that hope that keeps us working. It's the hope of Jesus that keeps us doing this work, this toiling and this striving. The things I mentioned last week that are not in these pastoral epistles, some of those things are creating a hospitable atmosphere for visitors, making sure that the music lures people via the style of music, doing everything we can to attract as many people as we can, It's not in these pastoral epistles. Be available at all costs, preacher, to everybody's family's funerals, weddings, and graduations. Not in here. You need to be really good at being the prayer, not prayer. You got to be really good at being the prayer. Pray dash er. You got to be the prayer at every function. That's what you need to be good at, preacher. That's not in these pastoral epistles. Being impressive so that people will be attracted to what you got going on. That's not in here. In fact, he says in chapter 1, the guys that are doing that, tell them to stop or leave. If they're just being impressive, trying to gain a following, and they're not preaching Jesus, tell them to stop or leave. So there's things that are absent. Some of these things are good things. Is it good that visitors feel welcome here? Yes, it is. But that is a byproduct of people who are hearing the truth. That doesn't, we, the, the pastor doesn't lay down this hard work of explaining and preaching and teaching truth and assassinating the conclusions that we've drawn that are not true. We don't lay down that work to meet your needs. We take this hard work, this toiling and striving of preaching truth, and that is what meets your need. Do you see it? You don't lay down the hard Work of unpacking truth and speaking it even when people don't really want to hear it. That, that's the work and that's what will meet your need. That's what you need to hear is truth. Maybe not what you're believing. And so that is the means by which your, your needs are met. It's when the, the good servant of Jesus speaks truly and speaks truth. So what have we asked pastors to be and do You can just think, if you've been in church at all growing up, maybe you're new to church, but that's probably a good thing in many ways. But if you've grown up in church at all, you know what we've asked this guy to be. We've asked him to be chaplain. We've even asked him to be super deacon and kind of do everything that deacons do. We've asked him to be 
the corporate prayer. We've asked him to be at all the important functions of my life to affirm me and encourage me. And I am, are we hopeful and expectant that the men that preach and teach to us are diligent in studying and getting the gospel right and making sure that we're believing what is true and not conclusions that we've drawn. It's hard work, it's good work, and it's what a good servant of Jesus does. R.C. Sproul says that if a man doesn't do this, it's just laziness. He says our real problem of our negligence is that when we fail in our duty to study and toil and strive as pastors in God's Word, the problem is not because it's difficult to understand, not so much because it's dull and boring, because it's not a dull and boring story, but we fail in it because it's work. Our problem is not a lack of intelligence or a lack of passion. Our problem is that we are lazy. And so, I hope that you hope from your pastors and your preachers and your teachers that they do the work. Do the work of making sure that what we're saying is true. That we know the difference between explicit truths and the difference between an implication or a conclusion that we've drawn that may not be completely true. And I hope that we ask. And I wonder how many pastors would want to do this. However, they're, they're so busy doing other things than being a chaplain that they can't do this. Or, or even more scary, that a church doesn't care that the pastor does any of this work. Right? Just don't care. That's the scary part. That a church would say to a pastor or a preacher, look, you know, <laughs> you're really smart and that's great, but we got a lot of things that we expect you to do here. And, and you know, saying, unpacking all this smarty stuff, theological seminary stuff, is just, it's just not where we are. It's not what we want. It's not what we need. And that's the scary thing. The second thing, verse 11 through 15 Here's the, here's the pinch for the pastor, okay? Because this is a good servant of Jesus that does the work. Speak truth. Let's assassinate the lies. Let's uncover what people are believing that are untrue. Is that you have to then deliver that truth to people who have conclusions they've drawn, right? We've all done that. So we're going to speak truth to you, and we're going to watch your life as we watch our life to make sure we're walking in it. And yet, we all walk in here with conclusions that we've drawn. We all walk in here with experiences and opinions. And the hard work for the pastor is to deliver that truth into your heart. Look what he says. Verse 11, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, Timothy, but set an example in speech and in conduct and love and in faith and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by the prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Here's the deal, Timothy. When he says, let no one despise you for your youth, that's another verse that we've taken out of context and we've said to the younger generation, you can say and preach and teach with authority anything you want to, even if you're young. And yet, that's not what Paul's saying here. What he's saying is, 
Because Timothy was probably early 30s. He's not saying, hey, young people, rise up and start speaking with authority whether you know what you're talking about or not. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, people will look for any reason, any reason they can not to do this work with you, preacher. People will come up with anything to not do this hard work with you. They, they will come up with anything to despise you. Despise you. When you start doing this, when you do the work of preaching and teaching, and you do this work of uncovering lies and making sure people are standing on truths that don't change, people are, some people will despise you. They'll dismiss you. They'll ignore you. And they'll come up with any reason they can to just ignore you and dismiss you. You did something one time that I didn't like, preacher. And ever since then, I've just been kind of real suspect. You're too young. Anything. They'll come up with anything. How about this one? You're not from around here. They'll come up with anything. You, you don't know us. You're not from here. You're too nice. Or you're not nice enough. People will come up with any reason not to do this hard work. We must have as preachers, as pastors, as teachers, the courage and diligence to continue to search that we are finding truth and we are connecting it to the hearts of people and putting it on display. And let me, let me just stop down for just a second. And dads, moms, head of household, small group shepherds, deacons, this lands on you too. Dads and moms, are you, are you uncovering lies in your home? Are you making sure to speak truth, that you get, get it right what you say, that you don't just speak opinion or conclusion that you've drawn, but that you get it right? You're being equipped to do that. So we must be careful to do the hard work of making sure that we're speaking truth. Are you doing that with your family? Are your children, is your spouse believing half-truths and lies? Or are you walking in truth? This is a work of persistence and practice. Look at verse 15. Practice these things, devote yourself to them so that all may see your progress. This is a work of persistence and progress. You, we don't ever get to quit working. Now, that may hit you so wrong because you are thinking about retirement. Boy, let's get there so we can just collect some shells. And we all would like to stop working. We would all like to rest a bit. But this is a work where we don't retire until he comes back. This is our work. And we don't retire from this work. We persist and we practice. We persist and we practice. And we persist and we practice. And then the third element here is people see it changing you. This is the other hard thing for the pastor and for the dad and for the deacon and for the small group shepherd. 
You start unpacking all these truths and you start uncovering these lies and that's hard enough. But now, you've got to live by those truths. If you don't live by these truths, no one sees a progress in you. It's a clanging symbol to stand up here and unpack a bunch of truth, but if it doesn't change me, no one sees my progress. No one sees me being transformed. If we're unpacking earth-shattering truths, life-changing truths in here, do your coworkers see it? Do the, do the men and women who work for you, do they see a change in you? Because of the truths being unpacked? Do you see it, a transformation in me? The pastor, he's got to live this stuff out and walk it out. Here's the hardest part, too. Here's, here's the crazy part. The, the digger we deep, the higher the bar for us to live by. The more truths we unpack, the more we set that we have to live by. And I just say, pray for your teachers. Pray for your parents, kids. Pray for your parents that they would help you not believe lies. Pray for your pastor that he would help you to not believe lies, that he would unpack truth. Pray for them that they would be able and have the diligence and the courage to keep speaking truth and to live against it, to live right up against the truth that they speak. Pray for your parents. Pray for your mom and dad. Pray for your pastor. Pray for your deacons. Pray for your teachers on Wednesday night that these truths they unpack, that they would in fact live against them, live right up next to them. It's difficult work and it's toiling and it's striving. I want to recount for just a second and we're almost done. You know what? As I've read this chapter for the 8,000th time this past week, you know what this sounds like? This good servant of Jesus. This, this guy who works hard at finding truth and uncovering lies. The guy who works hard at delivering it into hearts of people in the face of opposition, in the face of people looking for any reason not to listen to him. You know what this sounds like to me? It sounds like Ben McGraw and Scott Sutton. Now, I hope you know, there's no payoff for me to say that. I'm not on staff. <laughs> I'm a non-staff elder here. But the thing that keeps coming to my mind is where are we against this at Crosspoint? And this guy sounds like Ben. And it sounds like Scott Sutton. And if we can't stop down for just 30 seconds and rejoice and recount and thank God that we have a good servant of Jesus preaching to us and Ben and Scott, they set the bar high for this elder in this work. And they push me in this. And there is healthy contending. And we don't always like what Ben says. We don't always like what Scott says. You probably don't like everything I say. But there's contending and we ask questions and we walk in it and we find truth together. But thank God we have somebody doing it. And not more worried about how we feel. But we have men who are unpacking it and doing it right in front of us. They're not perfect. James says everyone sins. They have to live under greater scrutiny. So do I. But at least they're putting their hand to the work. I pray that we never ask anything out of the pastors on staff here that keeps them from...
Is he okay? Let's stop down and just pray for a little handling. Father, we are uh, grateful <laughs> that you protected Henley just now. And we pray that he would, uh, he and mom and dad would be uh, able to trust you in that. And we're grateful that you are sovereign and that you surround us with uh, people that come alongside us in unnerving moments like that. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't want you to miss this. Because here's the other thing that this passage reminds me of. This sounds like a group of 20-plus small group shepherds who over the last three years have started reading books they never thought they'd read about old dead guys who unpack these truths. It sounds like engineers and teachers and builders and contractors and businessmen and carpenters who come home tired and stay up late reading some more. Why? Toil and strive. Let's get the gospel right. They're, they're trying to get their head around this explicit truth from Sunday, and then they're going to lead you in it. And I see 20-plus men working hard at it. And I'm grateful for the deacons that teach here. I'm grateful for the small group shepherds who are in this work. In this work. And it's, it's encouraging. Because I, that's what I'm reminded of when I read a passage like this. Of my pastors and the small group shepherds all around me. Doing the hard work. It is not easy. And we will come up with anything. Any reason not to listen. When we don't like what they're saying. But let's do the work with them. Let's contend with one another. Let's question but let's trust each other and let's dig together. Because here's, here's the payoff verse. It's the last one, verse 16. Let's look at it together. Timothy, preacher, good servant of Jesus, you keep a close watch on yourself. How you live matters. You can subvert and destroy everything you've taught to your church or your children or your spouse if you don't watch the way you live. You can blow it up. You can just, all your work comes crashing down. Or you can bless it by how you live. So you watch yourself, Dad. You watch yourself, Deacon. You watch yourself, small group shepherd. Brad, preacher, you watch yourself. Ben, watch yourself. Scott, watch yourself. And then he goes on. Persist in this. For by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. How beautiful is that? That that is the work that keeps us from leaving. That keeps us from bailing. That keeps us in the faith. That's the hard work that we never retire from. And if you have a dad, if you have a small group shepherd, if you have any pastor or preacher that's doing this work with you, it's keeping you in the faith. It's keeping you. And that is reason to celebrate and rejoice and be grateful and thankful.
and don't leave. Now, where do we go from here? Well, here's the hard part. We can't rest in that. Why? We've got more work to do. Because you know what? I'll forget by Tuesday. I'll forget tonight. And I need the supper again next week, and I need somebody else to, oh, yeah, 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 I remember what. I had thought that verse meant something that paid off for me, but really that it's not what that means. Thank you for showing me that. I need to be reminded of truths, truths that I haven't even connected yet, truths I don't even, I haven't even dug, and he finds it, or he finds it. The small group shepherd unpacks it, and that's the medicine that we need. This work keeps us from believing lies. This work keeps us from teaching lies. This work keeps us aware and not dull, the Hebrews preacher says. This work keeps us urgent and impatient with those that leave and impatient with a Christ that we can't wait to come back. And this work keeps us sober-minded. It's the means by which we keep ourselves from falling away. It's the hard work of determining and understanding explicit truths and doctrines and yet walking in their implications. And then what I want to do before we take this supper is I just want to share if a good servant of Jesus and a good preacher shares explicit truth that is a steel rod of the gospel, I'm going to do that, and that's what we're going to enjoy the supper with is this truth. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 through 15, you can turn there with me and read it with me. Becoming one of my favorite passages, 12 through 15. Paul says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Write, underline that. When you see that explicit truth, <laughs> there's no arguing, there's no fuzziness, there's no gray area here. You can stand on this. Here's an explicit truth from your preacher from Paul right here in the Word. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Stand on this, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. And he is not on a grading system here. He's not saying, I've sinned worse than you. He's saying, according to me, I'm the worst. There's no, I don't have any contempt for you. His grace overflowed for me. And that's what Jesus came to do, atone for the sins of his people. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. So as we enjoy this supper, as we enjoy the fruit of the vine, and we enjoy the bread, we're going to enjoy it as one who his grace and mercy overflowed for us, we're going to enjoy it as a sinner saved by his work. And that keeps us in this work. Let's pray.
Jesus, your grace overflowed for me. I didn't need um, like a little trickle of your grace and mercy. It overflowed for me. I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And you chose to save me and your grace overflowed. And we know and we stand on this truth this morning that Jesus, you came sent by the Father empowered and blessed by the Spirit. You came to save sinners. And we stand here and we sit before you and we humble ourselves before you as sinners saved by you. We relish it this morning. We're grateful for this time in the Word. And we're grateful for teachers and pastors and preachers who are doing this hard work of unpacking truths for us and with us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. If you are trusting Christ as foremost of sinners, His grace overflowing for you, take and eat. Take and drink. Father, as we move into a time of giving, I pray that you would keep our hearts pure in our giving, in our intentions, that we are not trying to earn anything as we give, but we give sacrificially and we give consistently because you give continuously and you give sacrificially. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. If um, you found yourself distracted this morning for any reason, um, I want to remind y'all that the sermons are all online, and you can go back and listen many times as you want, especially those in this region of the room here. So, um, you doing all right? He's got his shirt off. He's rocking it. There we go. Awesome. Um, kiddos, y'all did great this morning. Seriously, well done. Uh, I want to present the Ferguson's, Christy and Jacinda. Y'all come on up. This is Jacinda. This is Christy, and they are coming for membership today. I got the privilege of meeting with them this week. And um, they uh, began their journey of faith as kids and were baptized. And then they went a number of years just without a church home. And then by providence, uh, they and their family moved into a house right next to the dirt track, the Super Bowl Speedway, which led them to inevitably become friends with Patrick Fields because he lives there too. <laughs> and so um, through their conversations, uh, he sh you know, shared his faith with them and they shared their faith with him. And he encouraged them to, uh, that they needed to be a part of a church if they're professing Christians, and we understand this morning how important that is. So meeting with them this week, I tried to talk them out of it, and I couldn't. They said, no, we want to be members. We want to be a part of a church, and so they're coming for membership uh, today, and um, we're going to encourage them, embrace them. It'd be great if someone, you know, took them to lunch, had them over for dinner, whatever. The reason I say that is because it's really easy for families with kids to find some other families with same age kids and connect with them. But for um, two single adults, um, sometimes it's not always in our minds to say, oh, let's go invite them to lunch. So Crosspoint family, throwing down the gauntlet, make it happen. All right? Fantastic. Uh, Y'all come up afterwards and greet them. Y'all stand and we'll pray and be dismissed. Lord, we love you very much. We're thankful uh, for uh, a message this morning. I'm thankful uh, for Brad enduring uh, through preaching um, in a unique morning. I'm thankful for the Fergusons. I pray for Christy and Jacinda as they uh, join here and as their members uh, here, um, uh, one of another. I pray that you would encourage them to continue to, to know others and to be known by others. Lord, as we 
have heard truth this morning, I pray that you would help us to go and walk in it. You are great and greatly to be praised, and we thank you for Jesus, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all have a great day.